0: Evolutionary.org Hardcore Podcast, coming your way. Episode 179, Rafael Brandeo, Brazilian bodybuilder. Very exciting. Steve Smith here, joining me from across the pond. Love that intro. The Monster, though. What's up, buddy? How you doing?
1: Oh, good. This is one I think is going to appeal to the South American and our Spanish language audience, as well as uh, uh, usual listeners. And uh,
0: Rafael Brandeo, Brazilian IFBB professional bodybuilder. He's rapidly moving up the ranks over the past couple of years. Right now he's 28 years old, five foot 11, 255 pounds in his contest shape. He's qualified to compete at the 2022 Mr. Olympia. So we're gonna keep an eye on him. We expect some big things out of him if he could stay healthy. So we're going to talk about his life, his competitions, and we're going to talk about his steroid use. So it's going to be a really fun episode. So a bit about him. He was born in Garça, Brazil, June 24, 1993. The most popular sport for him growing up was called, you know, was soccer. And they, they call it football over there. I'm sure they, um, that's what every young boy dreams of doing is being a professional soccer player. And it is the most important sport in their country. They go absolutely crazy over it. Uh, the World yeah. Cup, uh, it's a big deal if Brazil doesn't mm-hmm. advance in the World Cup. They, they riot and they go crazy over, uh, over soccer. But he also played volleyball and basketball. Those are also popular sports in Brazil. Very skinny kid growing up. Ectomorph. Um, he was getting annoyed with team sports. And he fell in love with weight training, which was a solo thing. He wanted to stop being laughed at for being so tiny. And um, that's one of the things about weight training, no matter what you look like, whatever your height, your weight, your size, your genetics, anyone can weight train. And it's not something that you have to worry about being part of a team. So a lot of people gravitate to weight training for that reason. That's it's more of that type of style. So 14 years old, he started out weight training. He put on muscle very, very quickly. He trained for four years straight with no breaks. And then that made him decide, hey, I want to get into bodybuilding and get his training and diet on point. Anything you want to add, Mop, sir?
1: I'm just thinking that he's 14 uh, even earlier than me. And I'm quite early when I started at 15. So that's pretty cool. I think the thing that you said about the uh, ectomorphic stuff is that, that bodybuilding, weightlifting, weight training, whatever it is, guys, because uh, 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 most of our listeners will be body conscious. Uh, it offers something for everybody. So, you know, you and I both know, Steve, that there's a, a bunch of sports that can benefit from it, including, for example, funny enough, soccer and the other sports that he played. I think I was ectomeso, uh, more ecto than meso when I started So any of that stuff came through afterwards. And when you look at him now, you, it's hard to imagine him, him, him as an ectomorph. But one of the few advantages I have, which will help with uh, his bodybuilding career, is that the ecto guys tend to have smaller joints. So any muscle that you add to the smaller joint looks that much more impressive. But I'm, I'm quite impressed by the simple fact that he started young. That 14 years of age has given him a hell of a head start. And it's rare for me when we're doing this podcast to see someone that's actually started even before I did. So that's kind of cool.
0: So his first competition was just at 20 years old. He had no outside help, no support from anyone. He just wanted to do it. He did not have to spend money on a coach. He did not have much money to do that. So some of the competitors he's going up against, they can afford great gyms, great diets, great facilities, great coaches to kind of help him. He had none of that. Um, He only had... The the time he put into his training in the mirror to be his own judge, what he needed to improve on. So, obviously, he didn't do very well early on in his career because there's a lot to bodybuilding that meets the eye. You've got to have someone teach you how to do the poses, you got to have someone show you how to, you know, what categories you should get in. They need someone to show you how to prep for a contest. There's so much that is required in it. So, even if you're Even the top professional bodybuilders in the world, Big Rami, they have coaches for that reason. It's just like a professional football player, professional basketball player. They have coaches because having a coach do the dirty work for you and do and worry about other things gives you the advantage. So then you can just focus on your training and you don't have to worry about all this other crap.
1: I'm going jump, to jump in here quick, Steve. Funny enough, this is kind of really weird in terms of uh, Brazil or slash South America. There is an enormous percentage of people that I would say are body conscious. What I mean by that is they like to keep in shape. But the very small percentage are what you and I would call serious bodybuilders or compete in anything like Raphael, Raphael's condition. So... What we've seen online, and we've seen a bunch of videos of this again, is you don't see american stole gyms in South America, Brazil, uh, uh, or anywhere else, Peru, whatever. Uh, it's kind of weird for that reason. So you will see quite often what looks like homemade equipment. There isn't any branded equipment in these videos and photographs, etc. that I've seen. Maybe that's what the person's focusing on when they're publishing this information. So there may be some in the big cities, but for the most part, it's homemade it's been made by a welder it's that kind of vibe and very what we would call rough and ready over here i like those kind of places they can be kind of super hardcore but what you're not turning out from there or if very rarely turning out from those kind of places especially in south america brazil is uh tip top bodybuilders with great genetics and having bodybuilding coaches what you do have there's a lot of people that are getting ready for the beach, that are getting ready to look good. So for the booty, for the girls, you know, the arms and tone for the guys, what you're not seeing or you very rarely see is professional or even uh, a high quality amateur bodybuilders featured. You take any of these videos, photographs, etc. we've seen of the beaches, you're, the, 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 the bodybuilder stands out. Uh, it, and yet, as I said, that other side, that percentage of people that are training to look good, to keep their ass in, in 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 condition to look great for the beach, it's monumental, way over and above what it is in the UK, and way over and above what it is is again in the states. We know that the, we know roughly the percentages. I think it's about ten percent of what we would consider competitive. That is weightlifting, strongman, and bodybuilding. Of the percentage of people who go to the gym, I would argue that in Brazil it's less. It's probably like one or two percent. So for him to do as well as he's done, and coming from that background and being in on the Mr. Olympia stage is actually kind of extraordinary. It makes him, over and above most people, you know that in the inner states, in here in the UK, our facilities are quite good and there are places that are tip top. The, the South America, Brazil, does not have that, or if they do, it's a much smaller number. So to succeed against that kind of background is really, really good. Right to you?
0: A couple of years later, 2016, he started to win smaller competitions. Started to get well-known in his home country of Brazil. He got eighth place at the 2017 San Marino Pro that earned him a pro card. 2018, very strong year. Once he has his pro card, he's starting to move his way up pretty quickly. Sixth at the New York Pro. It's one of the most competitive competitions. Oh, third at the California State Bodybuilding Competition, fifth at the Toronto Pro, which is also a big one, and then fourth at Muscle Mayhem. The next year in 2019, he got seventh at at the Ohio Arnold Classic and second at the Brazil Arnold. So the next couple years, 2020 and 2021, he had some struggles and he had some very good things happen. I think looking back though, I think he's been very frustrated. So the bad news is he wasn't able to compete at Mr. Olympia. He had a severe case of COVID-19. He was having major breathing problems. He ended up getting third at the Europa Pro, second at the EVLS Prague Pro, Prague Pro, and won the Romania Pro. And that qualified him for the 2022 Mr. Olympia. And then recently, Before we did this podcast, he announced he had to pull out of the 2022 Arnold Classic. We look forward to seeing him later this year at the 2022 Mr. Olympia. So we'll see how he does. Does he get top 15? Does he get top 10? Does he, hey, does he get maybe top six? We'll have to see how he does.
1: Chime on that, Mom. I'll jump back in here, Steve. There's a couple of things that occurred to me. You said about frustration there. And I said, I agree, because what I was thinking We've seen a few top bodybuilders, and I think we discussed this in a previous podcast, if you didn't qualify, they had to travel. And, I mean, as an example, you had certain conditions where it was easier to come in from Mexico to the US than it was to come in from Canada to the US. And situations like that where guys were stuck in countries and they couldn't compete, therefore they couldn't qualify. Big Rami being the obvious example himself, and only certain situations where strings were pulled, Allowing other bodybuilders to come over and stuff like that. So arguably, it's one of those situations where sometimes a rest is great, and having that year off and not being out having to compete, you put on new muscle, you do it on new tissue, you look better after the year out, and you come back. But for other guys, they're on a roll, and I'm saying from what you've just said, Rafael was on a roll, and maybe for him, my career review saying about the frustration was that it was one of those situations where he probably wanted to get it done, get on stage, show what he's got, and you know, progress is, is there, and to have to hold that back, and obviously struggle with the whole breathing issues with COVID as well, was probably majorly frustrating. So I'm going to agree with you at 100%. One of those situations where for him, missing out was a pain in the butt. Missing out was, you know, when sometimes with these things we talk about. I think other pundits, uh, especially, they talk about momentum, and what they mean by that is that your name's in the magazines, your name's being talked about online, you've been in a competition, you're top three. Oh, that guy's good. He's gonna do well at this next competition. And then when they can't go to that next competition, when they can't compete for three months, six months or a year, they lose that momentum. They, they drop out of the public consciousness. They, we don't keep mentioning their name. And I suspect this is the issue again here with Raphael, that perhaps had the momentum carried on, had he been able to compete, had his condition continued to improve as it has done till now, or certainly of just before this period, then perhaps we might have seen him place higher already, Steve. So yeah, there's a potential there for that to be an issue and certainly for it to be frustrating.
0: So what do you think, how do you think he's going to do at the uh, Mr. Olympia later this year? So really, I I think, think yeah, I think a lot of
1: people are expecting him to do well. So let's see if he has a letdown. Right. So I've watched a couple of videos, obviously, as a pre-show research. And it's one of those things I The momentum thing applies even to me. I had to refresh myself. I'd heard of him, but I had to refresh my memory. Let's see what his physique looks like, et cetera, et cetera. He's up there, 100% he's up there. Um, And you could probably put him with the Ian Valier. You could probably put him potentially with any of the top three, top four, top five that we've recently seen. It's one of those situations where um, his condition, if it's on point, means he's definitely in contention. I mean, the, the obvious example, the biggest competition that he's done well at would be uh, even being in the top 10 at the Ohio Arnold Classic 2019 seventh place is a great indication of exactly what kind of standard of bodybuilder we're looking at. And I think the second at the Brazil Arnold, it was all, that would have been a home run he'd have won that that would have been amazing but even second because i think you're talking about other us and high level bodybuilders competing regardless of the fact it's been held in brazil um these are good indicators and so we're back to the momentum point again i think it's one of those things that had he done what he wanted to do had he competed and had no issues with breathing etc etc and covid i think it would be more in my consciousness and therefore we would be saying top ten hundred percent top ten in the olympia top ten at the arnold Top ten in any competition. Now, if you can bring it, and we know this is the condition's been an issue. I've seen photographs where I think one of the things I did was there's a video clip. I've been working with Chrisu Co. We're in a hotel room. Other uh, Brazilian buddies are there, and he looks on fucking point. No mucking around. No missing out. So I actually think, without double checking, that would probably was the Ohio, the Arnold Classic, and he's... is. Tan was on point. There was no issues with the skin, which I did notice he struggles with from time to time, especially off-season in training. Um, yeah, he's kind of almost, in my mind, bordering on a classic physique, and that is really good. So the vacuum's there, the skin's on point, the Tan's on point, and if no one else is bringing it, he's top three pretty much on any competition he wants to, but you have to, as you know, get the combination of all the different factors that are allowing you to win. So... Right now, if he does everything right, he's top five in any competition he wants to go in, and I'm talking about Arnold Olympia, whatever you like. All right.
0: So let's get into his training and diet. I'm going to do his diet, and then um, right. I'm curious to hear what Mobster has to say on his uh, on yeah, his uh, training. You. So one of the, the things about him, which I uh, which I found interesting when it comes to diet, is he likes to cook. He likes to cook at home. There's a lot of uh, pictures on his social media, which we'll get into in a second, about him cooking. Well, I'll actually mention it right now. He's um, very popular in Brazil, 1.1 million followers on Instagram, 400,000 on YouTube. And he's got a bunch of pictures on their training. He's got pictures of food. He's got a very large Brazilian fan base, which is all over his, his channels and uh, the commenting and, and complimenting him. His wife also is a fitness competitor and she has 500,000 followers and they're seen together, enjoying the beach, dinners out and spending time working out together. So her name, her name is Karen Ranoccia. And if you read the article, I include her, uh, her Instagram on there as well. So between the both of them, I'm curious the, that, that that dynamic, I'm sure they kind of Are are at each other's throats a lot when it comes to this stuff um oh egg whites oh no no yolk you know yeah you know that those are those are the types of arguments they probably have all the time and that's something i've went through myself dating someone who also was a fitness enthusiast so i'll get into his diet shortly why don't you chime in a little bit more
1: very quickly then uh, did you get the diet specific but one of the things you and i've talked about these previous podcasts and indeed on the forums is guys learn to cook and the fact that this, this is a professional bodybuilder showing himself cooking and being creative uh, is, is, is there's no excuse. If the top one of the top level bodybuilders and I welcome do it, and that's how he gets to be in a condition, you need, you need, you should do it. Yes, there are food prep companies. If you've got that kind of disposable income, fill your boots. But if otherwise, learn to shop, learn to cook, learn to be creative. And, and yeah, you're right. Um, I've had not the home a bodybuilder by any stretch of the imagination. But it's, it's interesting how people perceive, and I can see what you're saying about these arguments in, in the kitchen or whatever, especially if one is competing and the other one is not. I've had the perception where um, we had a cartoon character over here called Desperate Dan, and the cow put his, his stick was supposed to be that he would, as the, the crude thing as you take the kill the cow, wipe its ass, and then put it in a pie. So women would think that I'd be absolutely massive. Like you know, ten thousand calorie breakfast, and you know half a you know half a cow and a pie. This kind of meal, sort of thing, desperate downside character stuff. So that's amusing how uh, people's perception of it. In reality, of course, as you know, Steve, I don't think that Raphael would do it differently. And and I'm sure you're about to tell everybody it's it's going to be multiple healthy, not ridiculously huge meals, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, through the day. So yeah, but tell the audience exactly what he does eat instead, and the kind of cooking that you've seen.
0: One of the interesting things about him is he is a a carb guy. So we see this a lot with guys who are ectomorphs and guys who are ectomorphs, they can eat a lot of carbs, even dirty carbs like pizza and bread and stuff like that and get away with it. So in his situation, plus he's young. So he talks a lot about having a high metabolism so he can eat a lot of carbs and get away with it. So basically the way it works when you're an ectomorph like this really really skinny and you basically i mean early in his in when he was 13 years old i mean the guy was like 120 pounds 130 pounds so he was a stick so when you're really that skinny and you've got that fast metabolism and you're young and all that stuff you can basically eat a bunch of carbs and he gets 400 carbs no problem and then what happens is ahead of your competition you just cut back. And then you're able to trim up ahead of your competition. So it's kind of like that yin and yang. You bulk up and you don't get fat, but you bulk up, put on the muscle mass, put on mass, and then you just shred up into your competition where you drop three, four percent body fat in the the two months leading up to your competition. And boom, now you're in contest shape. So that's a huge advantage having that body structure. So his foods: rice, eggs, berries, oatmeal, turkey, and fish. These are the ones he likes. Notice there's no red meat in there. He's not a red meat person. Um, he and, and notice there's fruit in there. So he does consume fruit. We see this a lot where people think, "Oh, bodybuilders shouldn't have fruit. It has sugar." No, no, no. He's he's getting his fruit. So it's it's it, this diet is pretty clean, and uh, but he does get in a lot of carbs when he when he is bulking. But he believes in balancing out his diet. And he also believes in cooking. And that's one of the ways, one of the things he does when he cooks. And I understand this because I like to cook, is it's it's a nice way just to relax, you know? It's an art. It's like it's like an artist drawing something. It's the same thing when you're cooking. It's it's an art. Cooking is definitely an art. So mobster, so yeah, chime mm-hmm. in on that and then give us this yeah. training.
1: Everything you said about the eczema. If I'm gonna apply that to myself very much back in the day, I, I've been. As an example, I've had a couple of fry-ups, the English fry-up, the, the bacon, the sausage, the egg, etc. recently, the first time, God knows how long, uh, probably because things are opening up or whatever else over here. And uh, I used to have one of those every single morning when I was working at a factory job, very much manual labouring. And as I said, I think it was exo-meso. So if, if I was doing a physical job, I could have literally what would probably amount to a 1,000 calories per meal. So, You know, that would be eggs, bacon, sausage, beans, tomatoes, whatever, all the fried stuff, all grilled stuff, whatever. And I would have that all the time. I would drink in pints of milk and eating bananas with that thing just to get the calories in. Now, obviously, what happens as you get older, your metabolism slows down. So when Steve says quite correctly he's still a young guy, that also applies. So, and then of course, being in the gym and doing some of the stuff which I'll get into in the training, it will mean it is burning those calories. So here's the thing, guys, you can ectomesso. So especially you will burn these carbs off but you can consume high amount of carbs i would say that i'm probably a carb guy the way that steve said and it fits right in with everything he said earlier on but i i am a fan of red meat i would prefer that over chicken but then i'm again, i'm not a professional bodybuilder i'm not trying to be ripped and in, in shape or whatever else on stage otherwise this diet is super fucking healthy fairly straightforward and if you can get as creative as Steve says, and if you can learn to cook and turn it almost into an art form, which it doesn't have to be, but it's fun. It's, us men seem to do it more than women for some particular reason. Maybe it's our little bit of a obsessive natures. We're more likely to have hobbies and collections and stuff like that. So the, the ability to cook becomes something that we get proud of. And of course, it does mean that the food isn't bland. It makes it interesting. It makes it tasty. So, you know, I've seen I've described on previous podcasts about getting your chicken breast and spicing on those bitches up and putting herbs on things and all that kind of stuff. So that's straightforward. It's not complicated and it doesn't have to be an art form. But if you can get into it, then you get into the visual, you get into the Steve and I both know about this being slightly older than some of our audience. It, food is as much about what it looks like and what it smells like before you eat it. So if you can make it visually appealing, if it smells, it starts to stimulate the palate. And then when you're eating, so all of those things, if you're a creative, if you're a cook, if you're a decent chef, as it appears Raphael is, then it's just going to, you're going to enjoy eating. And again, if you're a bodybuilder or a strength athlete or whatever else, sometimes food can be tedious. It becomes your diet in and you want sweets, you want carbs, but you can't have it. As a strength athlete, there's a thing sometimes when as ecto especially coming from that background to push, almost physically pushing the food into your mouth because it's such a drag and force feeding yourself to try and gain weight. And especially when you're doing training to a certain degree that your appetite starts to drop off. When we see this with certain uh, steroids as well. The more creative, the more taste, the more visually appealing, the more it it appeals to your uh, sense of smell, the more likely, or should I say, the less likely it's going to be a tedious, hard work kind of situation. And again, if you can afford it, guys, you've got meal meal prep companies, but yeah, you will save bucks and learn to cook, learn to be creative. Uh, And and that includes includes you guys that are in college, that includes you guys that are, are out working, you've got no excuse, you can food prep ahead of time and take this stuff with you in a cool box. You can eat it cold, you can put hot sauces on it, some uh, building site. some of you construction worker guys will have a uh, cabin on site with a microwave in, just stick your tub in there, peel that lid off the corner, zap it and, uh, and enjoy it. So yeah, learn to cook, guys. It is a, it's, it's a skill that's seriously lacking in some of our younger listeners. You've got no excuse. Get on YouTube. There's a million videos about cooking up chicken breast and rice and making things interesting. But you, still.
0: Yeah, I'm going to send it right back to you, buddy. Talk about it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So I, 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 I pre-show research, guys. I decided because yesterday was my leg day that I would watch Raphael's leg workout, and he went to one of the um, franchise Metroflex. I didn't, I don't know which one. Uh, lots of black walls, red big red lettering, etc., etc., etc. The motherfucker is strong, Steve. Strong. How about on a thirty-five degree leg press up there with Ronnie Common, one thousand kilograms. Now, everybody's chatting away in Spanish, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But they-, they they're, they're Portuguese, they're Portuguese, they're, Portuguese, Portuguese, Portuguese. Portuguese. Yeah. So one of the things I say, uh, Portuguese is, of course, is a Spanish dialect. So why I say thing is the, the, the percentage of audience from South America, uh, parts of Europe, etc. Uh, I know RX Muscle, for example, have done some Spanish language, uh, and I believe MD, um one of the uh, writers over there it can speak i think his wife is, is spanish so or spanish speaking it is a massive 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 audience so although the portuguese and the spanish living next door to each other probably argue about it but the rest of the world it's a it's a variation on spanish and a percentage of the uh, world population that speaks spanish or some version of spanish is monumental it's precisely why steve said about the half a million and the up to a million uh, views that he's had on some of his youtube videos half a million is the average steve and that's pretty damn good for a guy who's not quite there yet but will be any day now and as I go back to the actual training seriously strong it was a four-hour leg workout at this metroflex gym it was a thousand kilo that's 2200 pound leg press it's a fact it's slightly over 2200 pounds he did a power squat type thing, like the kind of stuff that I'm looking for, one of the ones I want from my own gym. He did some leg extension, leg curl, and Every machine, of the stack machines he was using the stack, his multiple sets. It's only funny enough, Steve, he's not a high rep kind of guy. So for example, myself again, you know, use myself as a reference always. Uh, right now I'm doing, let me see, yesterday was 650 kilo leg press. The idea would you working up the weight reps and that's exactly the sort of sets and reps that he was doing. But he was doing multiples. I think they kind of got 800, 900 kilos on there. Then a thousand kilos, or 2,200 pounds, an American ton, 2,200, 2,000 pounds. And he was he was banging the reps out, and that with no knee reps on Steve, uh, just some sort of spandex things going on, some long socks or whatever else. I don't think I even saw a belt on on some of the other stuff. He wasn't in the video that I saw doing a lot of free weights. So there wasn't any barbell squats or whatever else. But it might be one of those things where he's done all that work in the back, back in the day, especially if he's training in those kind of Brazilian gyms that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and it may be, well, it gets to that point where I'm just looking to develop and shape and look for quality. I don't want to risk injury. But otherwise, I would say he's, he's a proper 1,000 kilos, in spite of the videos on YouTube and stuff that we've seen out there, 2,200 pounds is rare. I believe Eddie Hall's done it and he passed out. Uh, we know that uh, Ronnie Coleman's done 2,200 plus, I think 2,265 pounds. So genuine reps, leg press, even on a 35 degree machine, with that kind of weight is tiny. It's There's honestly right now off the top of my head, he's literally the third person, maybe the fourth person I've seen online properly repping 1,000 kilograms, 2,200 pounds. That makes him, even on machines, Fucking strong, Steve. That is really, really rare. So he he, never seen that before. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I can literally run Ronnie Coleman on a 35 degree machine. I know the brand, I know the model. They extended the horns. And it's the classic leg video where he's squatting this amount of six plates front squats, eight plate back squats, and then goes and sits on the leg press and loads that baby up and bangs the rep out. That's Ronnie Coleman's number, the first person, Eddie Hall. World's Longest man, I believe, 2018. He did a thing after he retired. He was doing certain challenges and whatever else. So he does one video. Where he does 900 kilo and then a thousand kilo, and he wrapped it and stayed on a machine. And he says, "I think I passed that for a few seconds." That's and he's maybe a 45 degree machine. Um, and again, Raphael, for reps. I, I, we we what's the uh, we did a German bodybuilder, you and I, one of our previous podcasts, and I think he does 900 kilos. So, literally, Rafael may well be third slash fourth bodybuilder, weightlifter, strength athlete that I've seen doing a thousand kilos. And he reps it. It it looks like he could have done more reps. Uh, So, you know, I think he does eight reps. He looks like he could have done 10, 11, 12. And he's doing a bunch of other stuff. It's a long work, four hours working legs when you're using a whole stack, leg curls, leg extension, um, squatting type machine, hack squat stuff. He has do not doing real, real big numbers on the hack, squat, but then <laughs> he's just done 2,000-something pounds on the leg press. And again, I mean, we're not talking ass to grass here, guys. He's not got his knees up past the years, but he's using no knee wraps, no knee sleeves. He's just got spandex-like leggings on. You can see how big his legs are. He's not obliterating himself. He's, walking, he's tired, for sure, but he's walking around in between the training. He's talking to the camera in Brazilian, and, and, and it's like, you know, He's not laughing his head off but he's still having a good time you can tell that he's okay with what he's just done he's not puking he's not coughing he's not sort of destroyed himself so it in his comfort zone steve basically i mean i'm gonna go over there maybe get him to no, do another three or four reps and push him real hard but otherwise i was super impressed seriously so for the rest of his training anything like that he's surprisingly strong surprisingly uh, capable And uh, guys, yeah, by all means, I can see why he's getting a half million views on a a Spanish language, Brazilian language uh, video. That's the only thing I thought was going to be negative, such as it is, is that, as I said, there's some American videos where they deliberately re-record the podcast or whatever they've done for their Spanish language, muscular, different RX being the two examples. Here's where I'd like them to do a subtitled or a, a, a version where someone's speaking in English over the top, so they get that audience. And it's, I say this, A, because he's quite good in that he's capturing that Spanish-language audience, but B, because where's the money? And the money, unfortunately, is in the U.S. and in Europe. And so you, I would want to appeal to sponsors, and it's been my one criticism. And of course, just for my own personal uh, preference, it would be nice to hear what he's saying and being able to understand and whatever else. I mean, but that's just because I don't speak Spanish. If I spoke Spanish, I wouldn't be having this conversation. So it's just one of those things. But again, that's just the money. Follow the money. Where's the money? The money's in America. Where's the money? The money's in Europe. The money is not at the minute in South America, although it is creeping up. For example, as you said earlier on with the Brazilian Arnold Classic, those competitions are getting bigger. But I would go where the money is. And if the money is in an English language video for the American market, then that's where you go. So even if it's just getting a buddy to do a voiceover over the top to explain what's going on and the, therefore appeal commercially to that section. But otherwise, guys, if you don't know Spanish, turn the sound down, put some music on and watch the video. These lose some serious weights are very, very impressive. So yeah, quite easily.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's 212 million people in Brazil, 320 million in the United States. Wow. So there's amazing. a huge market. And then right next door, in Argentina, there's actually 45 million to the west, southwest of Brazil. So those there's some pretty big markets. Um, I'm sorry, to the south of Brazil, in Argentina, there's a 45 million. So they've got a pretty big market, and um, yeah, and, and someone you know between uh, Portuguese and Spanish. Um, remember, Spain and Portugal are neighbors, and um, and then what happened was when they were colonizing the Americas. The Portuguese and Spain made a deal where Portugal would colonize to the east of the line um, and Spain would get to colonize to the west. So that's how Brazil ended up getting settled by the Portuguese, while the rest of South America, well, at least the most of the rest of South America was Spain settlements. And of course, you've got, you know. Uh, uh, you know, some
1: from from um, Britain and stuff like France. that. So that's so that's, that's how. Yeah. yeah, and in, um, fall, that, in that time period, Steve, the main four was Britain, France, Spain, and Portugal. You saying we were all out trying to create empires. Uh, the British ended up being the biggest, uh, and I believe potentially arguably the biggest ever. Although it's nothing like that now for obvious reasons. But yeah, we were fighting each other, and we were fighting for the gold, and we were fighting for land left, right, and center, and you can see those influences, guys, it's just straightforward history all over the world, so there are a bunch of places, in, in English places, English-speaking places that are in South America, and I'm thinking of the Falklands, arguably, because they're just off the, the tip of uh, Argentina, I believe. Um, so you got Guyana, you know, you I just
0: want to clarify, you yeah. have Guyana, yeah. you got French Guiana, yeah. and you have Suriname, yeah. so those are the only ones that don't either speak Spanish or Portuguese, because they were settled, like you said, mobster. By um, yep. you know, by other countries, so that's why you see Brazil. Um, they speak Portuguese, but the rest of South America mostly speaks Spanish, and that's that's why um, because of that that deal that that was struck between Spain and Portugal um, during the colonization.
1: Something Steve and I have talked about before. We've talked about, for example, this is just a commercial tip again, guys. We talked about the Asian market, uh, specifically ch- China and India, being absolutely monstrous. I mean, they're both well over a billion people on, India's like 1.1, 1.2, and it may even be 1.4, as high as that, Steve. And I believe the Chinese is something stupid like 1.4 to 1.6 billion people. We said those markets are huge. Again, the Spanish and Portuguese markets are massive, massive again. So Steve's just quoted the number 200 million plus, 47 million next door and so on and so forth. The only thing, and I mentioned this already, is that for whatever reason, the percentage that of that market, which is bodybuilding is actually kind of small compared to America, Europe and the UK. But it is growing. You don't, don't bring a higher level competition like the Brazilian Arnold Classic to Brazil and spend the money that these guys would have spent to put on those competitions if you didn't think you were gonna make an impact, if you didn't think it was gonna get commercial return. Unless you're you know a really charitable millionaire, it's <laughs> unlikely, it's gonna cost you Let's be honest, Steve, those big just, just an Arnold classic with the prize, the promotion, and everything, you're probably looking at no change whatsoever, even for a relatively small prize. So let's say for, our, let's say, $50,000, the rest, the whole thing together is going to cost you a million bucks, certainly half a million, three quarters of a million bucks. So, to put that kind of thing on, you're going to want to return for your promotion and so on. So, there must be a market there, but it's not the same as it is in the US. We know in the US with 300 million plus people, it's roughly 10%, so 30 million ish. People say that number's probably actually slightly higher now, go to gyms. and again about three million of that put, would put themselves into the category of bodybuilder. So that's one percent. I would argue in South America it's smaller, whereas the fitness figure uh, market male and female, and the body conscious market male and female, is much much higher. So it's one of those things where I would probably something like Raphael, I would take him, I would use him if, in commercial, cooking, but I would my market that people I was actually wanted to sell to, would be the body conscious that is changing they're becoming more westernized there the uh, bodybuilding thing is starting to increase and therefore the market potentially the market i mean just the, the total number of people that live in all places in south america whether it's portuguese speaking or spanish speaking it's probably going to be something like bigger than europe it's going to be somewhere between four and six hundred million that's without be looking that stuff up if not more that's all the countries combined peru everywhere else uh, in those particular places, but an obvious example, Steve. If you live in a mountainous country, you don't have a lot of bodybuilders <laughs> because it going to be. You have, you have skiers, skiers. Yeah, exactly. Climbers <laughs> and skiers. Yeah.
0: If you're
1: a thousand meters up. You live in a thousand meters up, and if you're working in one of these 16,000 feet above sea level mines, you're not bodybuilding. You're not weight training. So it's all you know. If you live out in, in the Andes, if you live in one of these jungles, there's not a lot of weightlifting going on. This stuff is around a city. So those places like Brazil um argentina etc they've got beach cultures the fitness figure the body conscious stuff is there but again guys it is still overall a massive market so for example if you sell supplements and especially for the body conscious for those fat burners and those kind of products you've got a massive massive market out there but the bodybuilding thing is increasing but relative to the us uk europe it's small Uh, the same thing applies i said already to the disposable income in China amongst the uh, those people that are working in certain industries, and certainly Asia, and I mean India specifically, but India, Pakistan as well, uh, because the, for example, educator class in India is huge, something stupid crazy, like 800 million have had further education. Uh, their, their income won't be on par with the UK or America, but relative to the national income, it's quite high, which means they have more disposable income, and we are seeing, Steve, uh, I've had companies contact me offering weightlifting belts from India, I know that there are bodybuilding products being sold and I know for example both from China and India I've seen companies online selling copies of the high end europe and american bodybuilding equipment so there are markets in those countries south america is starting to have that market but for the body conscious if you're into the fat burners if you want you know rubbing on lotions vitamins that kind of stuff and anything that's going to make you look good on the beach that's that's the market so We'll, we'll see how that goes in the next future. Let's get into the PEDs, as always, and what we think he's going to do in the future. Yep. So
0: um, PED use, from what I have understand, Mobster, is that they're not legal in Brazil, uh, but they are readily available via the black market. And they're pretty yeah. inexpensive. So for him, you know, he's going to be able to access them, no problem. Um, to compete at the level that he wants to be at and the, the level he's at as a professional bodybuilder going up against the top guys in the world. You know, we could take it like, and we could speculate what he may have used leading up to his win at the Romania pro. So HCH and insulin, 18 IUs of HGH per day, 10 IUs of insulin per day. It's a pretty standard stack for a bodybuilder yeah. of that level to be able to have that much mass on your frame. And be at that low of a body fat, you know, you've got to you've got to do something that's pretty incredible. And those two, and those Especially two work. Carbs. Yep, they work perfectly together. And as you said, yeah, with the carbs and stuff, works perfectly. Yes. Another one is trembolone, twelve thousand milligram, twelve hundred milligrams of trembolone acetate per week in total. Um, the acetate is a good one to use because it has a shorter ester, so it's going to be in and out of your body quicker. So you can kind of play around with it. And kind of uh, increase the dose, lower the dose versus the enanthate, which would be in a system longer and take longer to move. So he can kind of play around with those dosages. So 1200 is a pretty aggressive dose. He might drop it down to 500, 600 right a few days ahead of the competition or a week ahead of the competition to kind of ease up a little bit on any type of inflammation that's in the body or anything like that. And then the equipoise, a thousand milligrams a week. Now, why? Why equipoise? It's a good, clean steroid. Um, It's something you can throw in there. It's going to add, it's going to help you build a lot of of good, clean, lean mass. It's not going to be dirty weight. So we're seeing equipoise as kind of something that's thrown in there in these cycles with these professional bodybuilders. We saw with um peterson and his autopsy episode that we did he passed away and one of the things he was using was equipoise so we know these guys are all over equipoise it's 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 not an expensive steroid like primabolin is but i consider it a very mild but very good solid uh, steroid to add in there a thousand milligrams a week what else you got on this one monster
1: i i I'll jump in. Uh, I'll do the, uh, the steroids in a second. One of the things that occurs to me is, I believe places like uh, Brazil, sometimes where accessibility to steroids is good in the way that you described, but it quite often is smaller doses than we you used to. However, I made a note here saying access is a pro. One of the things that happens when you get your name made is that you have greater access. It's just the nature of the beast. So literally, for example, let's say for argument's sake, the companies will go out of their way to offer you products, high quality products, um, and be happy to support you. And one of the things that used to happen in bodybuilding is that doctors that were fans of bodybuilding, whether they were uh, the gay 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 doctors or straight doctors, if they were fans, one of the things that used to happen, and it was from both sides there, was they would... Say, I can help you with this, I can get pharmaceutical products, and they would prescribe them for you because they were friendly, because they support your bodybuilding. It meant that you got greater access. So, for example, I could see it not being completely out of uh, uh, the realm that I've described with the lower dosage products that are available in the black market in South America, specifically Brazil. But once your name is made, your access to products improves, trust me. Uh, the, the, in regards to legality, I've made another comment there, Steve what also happens and we know this and I'm not going to mention any names but we know of a particular very famous bodybuilder who was a policeman as an example the same thing applies to america uh, south america and in and generally you'll notice in the us as well if you are a high name athlete say for example in your city or your town you tend to get away with things and what i mean by that is if everybody thinks you're amazing let's say that you you play Uh, high class basketball, high level basketball, league league division one or whatever else, but occasionally you get into a fight at a bar. In reality, the amount of times that you'll get arrested and charged should be relatively small, say compared to someone who's not as well known or admired for their sporting ability. So what I mean by that, guys, is, as Steve's quite correct in saying, we think the legality in the states in sorry Brazil is that they are not legal, but they're not overly bothered by people using still. It's much like here in the UK. And the bigger the name you become, the greater the access, and the less likely, unless you fall out of favor, that you having and using that product is an issue. And I think again, because He'll be representing his country he'll be doing incredibly well and again i'm not saying this is necessarily 100 percent true about rafael i said it's a general uh, uh example of how i think that kind of situation would go regards to give one of the things i want to jump in again that you just mentioned steve before i do with the rest equipoise i say this all the time on the forum guys do not think when you're 16 17 18 20 body fat that a drug like drug like eq is going to make you 10%. You've got to put the work in. And again, if the genetically blessed bodybuilders put the work in and they do cardio and they diet and then they use EQ and they've got the best genetics in the world, then they get lean. Do not think it's a fat burner. You need to have something going on. In regards to the next two drugs and the, one, the second one especially, 600 milligrams a week of sespropionate. Remind me, Steve, propionate's quite a short actor acting drug isn't it short ester
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah it's right. it's so, in and out yes. quick within a week week and a half yeah in and out yeah right great, great for competition purposes and obviously this is the reason why guys use short, short esters for sort of high five esters for uh competitions for the for bunch of reasons one is if you're not you've got any knowledge of how your body's going to respond to it you're going to uh find out very quickly how it responds how it goes whatever else secondly it's, as per usual, and that's what we just said again, it's a drug that you can use for competition. You can take it out ahead of time. You know exactly how long it's going to be in your system, how you're going to feel it, how your body's going to respond to it. And so, therefore, if you hold water, uh, i stop it this, this much ahead of time, lose that water, be in shape, and so on. The one I'm going back, the one I'm mentioning again in terms of competition specifically, and the same same comment I made about EQ, is a 1,000 milligrams a week of Masteron propionate. Again, short-acting, but mastron is one of those things that we call a hardener. But guys... You still got to do the work, you still got to be in condition, you still got to be carbon manipulating, you still got you can't. If you think you can how many times, Steve, have we seen on the guys on the forums come along talking about a Masteron or a similar product, but a 20% body fat? You're, you're not gonna drop loads of body fat just because you're taking Masteron. And if the genetically blessed bodybuilders that I've described already have to do the work, then you have to do the work. But how often we don't see it often enough where i smashing the cardio and really putting in the work on the diet the fat's falling off and i'm adding mastron that makes way more sense he's a competitive bodybuilder he's one of the best in the world he's going to be blessed he's going to be putting the work in and that's why a drug like mastron here is going to work for him especially as a hardener and getting him ready for competition and trust me steve even on the leg training video you're seeing muscles popping in the chest and the forearms and the shoulders through the clothing you can see the the muscle of the quads popping out through the spandex on the, the trousers that he's wearing, the, the spandex uh, uh, leggings that he's wearing. So it looks hard, it looks gnarly. It has that kind of appearance, but there's not a lot of body fat going on. And trust me, again, 1,000 kilo uh, leg presses when you're not got a lot of body fat is uncomfortable. So uh, the fact he's able to do, do that kind of numbers lean is, again, super impressive. And the last drug, which we're talking about here for the same reasons as, as the EQ and the mastron again, 200 milligrams a day of wind stroll, that might be relatively high if you're not competing, especially in conjunction with all the other numbers that we've mentioned. But it's, again, something you can use for competition if your diet is on point, if your cardio is on point, if you're coming down and you're starting to get this condition, these things will polish. It's a bit like taking a diamond and chipping away the rough stuff and bringing out the quality underneath. And again, as I said earlier on, Steve, the, and I believe it was the Arnold Classic with Chris Ocito in the hotel room there. There is a polished diamond underneath whatever Raphael's carrying in the off-season. He has a very nice, borderline, classic-type physique. And it's £255 at his height with these drugs, this combination. And again, as I mentioned, interrupting Steve earlier on, the, with the HGH and the insulin, with the carbs that we're talking about with him being what we think is carb sensitive because of his exomorphic background this I actually i think steve sometimes we guess i think this is as close to accurate as we can get with rafael because of everything that we know about him because of his genetics because of how he's, his appearance because of what he's able to bring so this is probably very 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 close to what he's doing and maybe uh we don't discuss it a great deal but one of the few drugs not mentioned on the probably running in those last few days before competition would be some kind of diuretic just to get rid of that rid of that last bit of water but trust me guys if he's doing a lean and gnarly looking physique and pushing out thousand kilo leg presses then uh we know he's a great responder we know he, i mean again guys thousand kilos Uh, with the two exceptions I mentioned earlier on. Ronnie Coleman, literally, I think it was 10 days before Mr. Olympia, and a much bigger, much less leaner, far more bulked Eddie Hall doing 1,000 kilos. And then Raphael, in a similar condition to Ronnie, he looks two, three, four weeks out from a competition. There's all kinds of stuff going on. You can see kind of lumps and bumps sticking through on top of each individual muscle, not quite stri rated through the spandex, but certainly very, very lean. So we're doing those kind of numbers bodes extremely well for just how well he's going to do and how well he responds. I think this is as close a cycle to being on point as we could possibly get, Steve, because of his physique, because of how he's respond, because of what we've seen in, in training and everything else. This is probably I, I, it, you, you might up or down a hundred milligrams of somebody's drugs, guys, and it's probably about as right as it's likely to be. Every, normally we guess, but this is really, really close to, to accurate, I think. Yeah,
0: definitely. And you know, with these types of things, guys, it's it's definitely everybody at this level, they're, they're you know, it's, it's drug warfare. It's steroid yeah. warfare. And there's gonna be a lot of competition this year at the 22-2 Mr. Olympia. Um, he's got a lot of guys, he's the only Brazilian, that's qualified for Mr. Olympia. There's none that are, that are in the point standings. Um, you've got one guy from Paraguay, Eduardo Rodriguez, who's even in there. So, as Mobster alluded to earlier, bodybuilding in South America is not something that's, that's popular. And oh, that's if he cool. can somehow, you know, win the oh, Mr. No. Olympia in the next few years, he will blow up oh, it explode! it will explode we're talking 300 million people that he will cause yeah. uh, this the uh, bodybuilding to explode in those countries just like Big Rami is making it explode in the Middle East it's going to explode there but if he doesn't, if he falls flat like he has the last yeah. couple years yeah. with him pulling out of the Arnold uh, which is a huge disappointment to his fans, he's really got to go in there and he's got to do well and move his way yes. up. Um, is he going to win the Mr. Olympia in 2022? Uh, probably no. not, um, uh, not going to happen. There's too many good, good people in there. You've got Nick Walker, you got Brandon Curry, you got Hottie Chupon, you got Hunter Labrata, you know, uh, you got these guys that are in there and then you got big Rami, obviously. I mean, for, if he can somehow crack top six, top seven, then yep. he's got potential over the next few years to win Mr. Olympia. And that'll be an awesome story, definitely, to have.
1: So finish with your final thoughts, mobster, and take us in a disclaimer. I'm just going to finish off from what you just said, Steve. If he gets in that top 10 and certainly 6th or 7th place, which he arguably can do, then the impact in Brazil will be massive, guys. I mean, it's literally going to be one of those things. If he doesn't, he might make the local paper where he lives. If he does, now he's on TV. And look at the how crazy it was for Rami in Egypt the first time he won the Mystery Olympia, Steve, with the bus and the guys shouting in and the airport. was absolutely crazy. And how many interviews he done with the Egyptian media? I think it was 20-something interviews with the news and the newspapers in the first 24, 48 hours. He went to some crazy parties. It went absolutely crazy. And that's Rami in, in Egypt where again, it's not a massive, massive sport, but as we've just inferred. Lo and behold, bodybuilding suddenly become incredibly popular people start to describe themselves not as someone who went to the gym, but as a bodybuilder because of Rami. The same thing will apply here. Rafael will be on national news. They will be mentioning his name on the, there'll be like a headline. Even if it's only for a day, it's a headline. And what, what, what sometimes happens in South America, again, specifically Brazil, of course, is that someone with the kind of money that we've talked about before? In other words, a multi-millionaire will say, "Rafael, you've done an amazing thing for Brazil. You've put her name up." Uh, I've been a fan of bodybuilding for a while. There was always been that kind of thing around the sport when Arnold was competing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But again, it was never as big as it arguably could have been. If Rafael brings that, trust me, guys, you will. You the, the explosion. If you are any way involved in bodybuilding, weight training, equipment, manufacturing, supplements, whatever, in Brazil and especially South America, whether it's Portuguese speaking or Spanish speaking, hold your purse, get ready. Because if he places as well as we think he's gonna place, the the impact on that market is gonna be huge. Uh, He will become famous, even if it's only for five minutes and uh, you can ride that wave in and make some serious, serious money. the sponsorship deals that he'll get in that country and and south america will be massive and the support that he'll get from friendly millionaires or whatever else as an example steve i just and finished reading a fictional book based in italy about a uh quarterback american quarterback goes over there and as an example they've got local millionaires it, this is actually based on the true story or, or the reality where local millionaires there support the team and they pay for the kit they pay for the pitch they pay for the Traffic. Some of the guys are getting paid decent salaries, and so on and so forth. South America is exactly the same, where you know, I think I've seen Olympic athletes given cars because they represented their country, and millionaires have given them Mercedes. Millionaires have given them a have another house. That's how crazy that kind of stuff gets. You're not even Duruun Yates. His best wasn't being given houses and cars by British millionaires, but trust me, it can and it has happened to. Olympic-level athletes and soccer players in South America and in Brazil and in Argentina. So if he does as well as we think he's going to do, Steve, it's going to be absolutely crazy. Right. I will hint at the upcomings. We've got some film stars coming, guys. They've physique changes that some film stars have made, some big names, and the transformations that they do in order to get in shape for the films, the reasons why how they've got in the shape, and so we're only going to adjust those things. So that's what you've got to look forward to. Batman and others. We will get into that in, in those upcoming podcasts. As always, please note we are not doctors, and the opinions we offer are ours and ours alone. It is our view, and it's based on experience and views on the topic, A podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only, The freedom of speech and the First Amendment apply.